This is all the cool parts number thirteen for June thirteenth, two thousand ten. Hey everybody! Welcome to all the cool parts number thirteen. I'm your host Anthony Joseph Landman. On this week's episode, I'm presenting a release by the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra of the music of two of my favorite composers, Arvo Pert and Louis Andreessen. So on today's show, I'm going to be presenting three pieces. Uh, one by Estonian composer Arvo Pert, and two by Dutch composer Louis Andreessen. And really what this show is about is kind of examining the European response to American minimalism in classical music. And minimalism really is something that was an American innovation. Um, the Really, the main principal composers of minimalism are Steve Reich, uh, Philip Glass, and John Adams. And um, and I know there are many others. And uh, if I didn't mention your favorite minimalist composer, you can send me an angry email. Uh, so they they, uh, they developed this uh, minimalism in the 60s. And um, really, this is... A kind of different take on minimalism, a, a take uh, from, you know, from across the pond in Europe. Uh, and uh, Andreessen and Pert were really the uh, one, some of the earliest composers over there to start exploring this idea of minimalism. Now, these pieces, you know, they're called minimalism, and that, uh, that label brings a lot of baggage and um, a, a lot of these pieces, the, f- the first piece the, that I'm going to play, the Arvo Pert, called um, Tabula Rasa, which means uh, uh, blank slate or clean slate. Um, this, uh, this can be, you know, you can argue that this piece is minimalist, 
Um, and also the last piece that I'm playing by Louis Andreessen de Stott. Uh, this is also um, very minimalist, but in a very different ways than, than American minimalism. And I'll get into that when I play the excerpts. The middle piece, uh, the first piece and the last piece were both written in the 70s. The middle piece uh, of Louis Andreessen, Raconto dell'Inferno, uh, this is a more recent piece. And um, this cannot be called minimalism. Um, even though these guys started out and made their names sort of exploring minimalism, and that label is still attached to them, it'll be, it'll be attached to their names forever, like, you know, regardless of what they do. Um, this piece in particular, uh, there's nothing minimalist about this piece. It's extremely theatrical. It remind a lot of it reminds me of uh, Orfeo that I did a couple weeks ago, Monteverdi's Orfeo, and it deals with a lot of the same themes, you know, um, descending into hell and all these sort of infernal themes. And he actually uses a lot of the same devices, a lot of the same color devices. Um, and again, you know, I'll, I'll get into that, but um, this middle piece, uh, Racconto dell'Inferno, is really uh, almost a kind of neo-Monteverdi sort of music. Um, so anyway, um, this uh, th- how I discovered this is it was kind of uh, by accident, I guess. Um, I was always planning on doing a show on Dastat because I love the piece. It's one of my favorite pieces. And I've had one recording of Dastat for years. And just out of curiosity, I went on iTunes and did a search. You know, I was just wondering if there was any other recordings of Dastat out there. And I came across this CD. It's not really a CD. It's a it's an online release by the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic. And it's released through iTunes and I assume other online retailers. And uh, it's of a live concert of theirs. And they do this. They have a bunch of these and they're released about a week to two weeks after the performance. So, you know, a week after their performance, you can be sitting here listening to what the LA Phil did a week before and the performance quality is fantastic. Uh, the recording quality is fantastic um, as well. And uh, I totally just discovered this Racconto dell'Inferno piece of Andreessen on this CD. I'd never heard it before. never heard of it. And uh, man, it's, it's an awesome piece. So I, I can't wait to present it to you guys. Um, so with that, um, of course, in the uh, show notes, you can go to the show, note, show notes at uh, allthecoolparts.blogspot.com, and I'll have a bunch of information in there, of course, about the performers and the composers. Uh, but let's start with Arvo Pert. Uh, Pert was born in 1935 in Estonia, and in the 1960s, he was preoccupied, just like everybody else pretty much was, with writing serial music and he was really growing I guess kind of disenchanted with that music um, which led him to start looking at ancient music you know ancient religious music chant and uh, this kind of music 
and he developed a compositional style that he calls uh, tintinabuli, uh, <laughs> which is uh, kind of influenced by chant and also influenced by bells, the sounds of bells and there's overtones of bells. And you'll hear um, both of these elements in tabula rasa, this sort of chant, simple idea um, in the strings, and then these actual bells that um, produce these pretty complex tones. I mean, you, you can have a bell that's, say, tuned to A, but when you strike the bell, the bell produces the A, and it also produces a bunch of overtones. So you're actually getting a bunch of different tones from one bell. And um, uh, this was a big, big influence on Pert. So our first excerpt uh, is from Arvo Pert's, like I said, Arvo Pert's Tabula Rasa. This move, uh, this piece is in two movements. The first movement is titled Ludus, which means games. Um, and uh, this piece is simply scored. It's, it's for string orchestra, prepared piano, which is a piano that's been prepared with screws and other things inserted into the strings to kind of change the sound into this more kind of percussive instrument rather than a melodic instrument and two solo violins so two violin soloists and uh, how this piece works this first movement is that you'll have these simple statements in the string orchestra of just completely diatonic music so this sort these sort of descending scales staggered and um then the the solo violin play which will lead into another section quieter section with just the solo violins and bells then this will end with a silence and then another episode will come in and it'll be the same idea except longer and more expanded on and then you'll have another silence and then another episode that'll be longer and more expanded so this keeps going and keeps going like this um, until the very end of the piece where you get this big busy sort of cadenza for uh, the two violins and so uh, the first excerpt I'm going to play is the very one of the very first very simple and short statements of the, one of these episodes that you'll hear of the string orchestra then the solo violin with the bells followed by the silence In this next excerpt, we're going to hear one of the episodes, one of the later episodes. So here we're going to be able to hear how Parrot takes this simple idea and expands upon it. So it's going to start with the solo violin with bells, then go back into this same idea with the string orchestra and both violins, um, greatly expanded from the first excerpt. And then it's going to end with 
another section of the two solo violins with the bells. Our next excerpt comes from the second movement of Tabula Rasa, Silentium, or Silence. This is a pretty much a pure uh, example of Arvo Parrott's Tintinabuli uh, compositional technique. This is where he moves in very, very simple lines, very simple rhythmic statements over these diatonic triads, basically with um, this scalar motion in the bass. Um, it's really meditative and plaintive, almost a kind of a very pure statement of, you know, spirituality.
So all throughout this movement, Parrot's been uh, moving the music towards this place of rest that it eventually settles on at the very end. And the the last excerpt I'm going to play you guys from Tabula Rasa is the very end of the piece. So I get to hear how the piece ends. Basically, what he does is um, the music keeps working downward and he keeps dropping out instruments just gradually until at the very end of the piece, uh, all that we're left with are these two solo basses that move very slowly to the very bottoms of their register and the piece ends there at the very very bottom of the orchestra Now on to Louis Andreessen's Racconto dell'Inferno, composed in 2004. And I just want to uh, tell you a little bit about this piece, because it's highly theatrical. And um, it's uh, it's not a theater piece, you know, it's not staged, but it's still, it's it's highly theatrical. The theater, the drama, you know, comes through the music instead of, you know, action, costumes, sets on stage. Andreessen is famous for using really unusual orchestras. And uh, I'll just go through the orchestration of this piece. He's got three flutes, 
two oboes, two clarinets in A, bass clarinet, contrabass clarinet, two horns, two trumpets, two trombones, timpani, a large battery of percussion, two pianos, cymbalom, which is kind of a large hammered dulcimer, guitar, bass guitar, strings with no violas, and solo voice. Um, If you were not famous, no orchestra in the world would play this. (laughs) But since you're Louis Andreessen, you can do this. Um, So, uh, Racconto dell'Inferno takes its text from Dante's Inferno. um, And Andreessen said about the book um, that it's been part of his life for more than 25 years. It combines complexity, intellectualism, horror, beauty, multi-layeredness, illusions, historical and mythological references, and above all, irony. And you can really hear all of this in this piece. Like I said, this highly theatrical piece. Um, As far as the story goes, he says, and this is uh, Andreessen's words, quote, In Canto 21, one of the leading devils, Malakoda, tells Dante and Virgil to take a different route to go to the next circle because a certain bridge has collapsed. They are afraid to follow his advice, so Malakota offers an escort of ten devils to accompany them. The calling of the ten devils by their names is the core of the piece, and the fa- uh, after the famous trumpeting of Malakota, they go on their way with this, quote, ferocious company, musically supported by a strange sort of medieval march with suggestive silences. So, that's the heart of this. He's, he's explaining this scene, basically, from Dante's Inferno that he's chosen to, you know, musically depict. And like I said in the introduction, it is incredibly close to uh, the style of music developed by Monteverdi in the early 17th century. And what Monteverdi and other composers of their day in uh, Italy in that century wanted to do more than anything else above all else was to convey the emotional affect of the text that they were setting above everything else. And so they tailored everything to do that. If you go back and listen to the Monteverdi's Orfeo episode I did um, a few episodes ago, you can hear the music. Everything in the music is tailored toward conveying this the emotions the emotions that are going on, on on stage the sounds of the instruments the music itself the mode whether it's in major or minor or using consonants using dissonance everything is geared toward uh you know conveying the emotions that are inherent in the text and that's exactly what Andreessen does here uh this is not minimalist music at all although um you know it still sounds like Andreessen but it's evolved past uh, this idea of minimalism to something new. Um, So uh, in this first excerpt that I'm going to play, we hear how the piece starts, and it's a a very short excerpt, but he starts with these statements, these punctuated statements uh, in the orchestra that are sort of slowly moving downwards and this is uh, I think supposed to depict a descent into hell 
next excerpt, uh, it starts with the very end of this introduction where we have these punctuated chords. And you'll hear that they've descended all the way to the bottom of the orchestra. So at this point, we have descended into hell <laughs> and we get the first entrance of uh, soprano Cristina Zavaloni and she sings um, really loudly <laughs> Discese al Inferno which is Italian for descend into hell so you know the the opening of the text really confirms that this whole introduction is about uh, Dante and Virgil's descent into this inferno. Okay, in this uh, next excerpt, we hear the very beginning of this scene, the depiction of this scene going on in hell. And uh, we all. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is, even at the end of that previous episode, we start to hear this sonic palette that Andreessen is using, and it is remarkably close to the sonic palette that Monteverdi used when uh, Orfeo descends into hell or Tartarus um, to try to recover your DJ. So if we remember in that Monteverdi switched his sonic palette to brass, a lot of brass instruments and this little reed organ called a regal, which had a very harsh sound, um, almost like some kind of demonic oboe choir or something. Um, now, Andreessen's clarinets don't sound quite as harsh as the Regal, but the sonic palette is, is the same idea. There, there is, it's very low in register, a lot of brass, a lot of reed wind sounds, and uh, this is continued in the music really throughout the whole thing. Um, and this is uh, the first entrance of the sort of text proper 
And I'll read you as best I can um, what she sings. So the whole thing is in the original Italian. Um, and uh, basically uh, she this, – this is what – this is the uh, translation. I, I was going to read the Italian, <laughs> but I won't torture you with that. Um, okay, so the translation is – Below there boiled a thick pot of pitch that covered either side with stickiness. I saw it, but could not see... uh, Sorry, I saw it, but could see nothing in it except the bubbles rising and the boiling, swelling, and then compressing back. As I saw behind us a black devil running as he came up the ridge, ah, how fierce his appearance and how ferocious his axe, with his wings open and his flying feet, let Malakota go. Um, So, uh... Here we have the company traveling through hell, uh, and we have this devil running to meet them, um, calling Malakota's uh, Malakota's name, basically. Um, also, at the very end of this excerpt, I wanted to just point out one small example of how Andreessen paints this text. Uh, at the very, very end, she sings... I huddled against the body of my leader and never took my eyes off their faces, which were not good. The, the, he never took his eyes off the faces of the devils. Um, and uh, you'll hear this in the music when she sings at the very end, um, Lorquera non buona. Um, buona meaning is good. It's the word for good. But this is uh, referring to these devils' faces, the looks on these devils' faces. And um, he he hits you with this awesome dissonance on um, the word buona, and it just just again paints the scene for you, and also how uh, Dante might have been feeling looking upon the faces of these devils. Vi vedea lei ma non vedea in essa mai che le bolle che il color levava e gonfiar tutta e riseder compresa e vidi dietro Lord, 
In our third excerpt from Racconto dell'Inferno, uh, I wanted to, I pulled this for a couple reasons. Um, the first was that I wanted you to hear this, just how wild this uh, unusual instrumentation and how Andreessen uses it to paint, you know, just orally this world of hell that Dante and Virgil are in. And one of the ways that he does this to get these really unusual sounds is he uses this uses this instrument, the cymbalom. The cymbalom is of Eastern European origin, and it's a large hammered dulcimer. And uh, you'll really hear in this excerpt uh, one of the ways that he uses this cymbalom, along with the piano and other instruments, um, just to get this really, really unusual and cool sound um, that uh, just you can't help in listening to this music but to just conjure up all kinds of images in your head, um, which I think is a real testament to Andreessen and his orchestration in this piece that he really, I think, in my opinion, um, he really did what he set out to do, which was just uh, depict this narrative through music and uh, through these sounds that he uh, composed and the instruments that he used. Like I said, you just can't help but conjure all these images in your head for yourself. Um, She sings in this... Uh, this is uh, this is the part where they're trying to get to a certain place. They're they're being led by this devil, Malakota, and this uh, he's saying to them, um, "There's little use in going further down this ridge, for at the bottom, broken in pieces, lies the sixth arch. If you want to advance, come up along this rocky ledge." So basically, their original plan was to go through this sixth arch which was the entrance to this other part of hell that they were trying to get to. And he's telling them that the sixth arch is destroyed and they can't go that way. And they're really kind of unsure whether he's telling them the truth or not. I mean, this guy is a devil, you know, after all. Um, He's telling them, you know, you need to come this other way with me around, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's that's what the text is saying. Um, So really uh, listen to how he depicts this and really listen for this this awesome use of symbolom. excerpt from Louis Andreessen's Raconto dell'Inferno, we can hear just more continuation of this word painting, this emotional painting, this scene painting going on. Um, the, the, the excerpt starts out with these 
sort of, I don't know, hits uh, <laughs> from the orchestra, almost like a big band. So like almost like these big band moments um, interspersed with these silences. Then it goes into the kind of, uh, I don't know, instrumental introduction to this sung passage. And she sings in this part, she sings sometimes with trumpets and sometimes with bells, with drums and with signals from the castle and with native things and with foreign. Um, so basically um, he's, he's depicting this scene going on, this musical scene in the, um, in the drama, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, you can hear a lot of word painting, especially when she sings Cheni di Castella, which means with bells. Um, you'll hear this sort of explosion of bell-like sounds in the orchestra. Um, and uh, again, you'll hear a lot of the symbolom, which again, I know I keep bringing up, but I just think it's really cool. And another point I wanted to bring up about this instrumental um, part in the middle before the voice comes in uh, Andreessen admittedly has been heavily influenced by the music of Igor Stravinsky. And this music, I have to say, owes a tremendous amount to Igor Stravinsky's A Soldier's Tale. This is a, a piece of Stravinsky's that also deals with these kind of a story of this kind of type <laughs> of uh, devils and uh, infernal. If any of you know, you know, uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band, uh, Stravinsky's A Soldier's Tale is kind of the same kind of story, um, much more expanded, obviously. But um, this section in this piece of Andreessen, I think, owes a heavy debt to Stravinsky's uh, A Soldier's Tale. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that brings us to Louis Andreessen's Destat. And Destat is quite a different piece from his Racconto dell'Inferno. And this is to be expected. Uh, Destat was written basically 30 years before uh, Racconto was. It was composed from 1972 to 1976. So yes, it took him four years to write this piece. Um, and again, it's got a really interesting and unusual instrumentation, which I'll go into after I read you. Uh, I wanted to read you this uh, little passage of, of uh, Andreessen just saying a few interesting words about this piece, de Stadt, that I thought uh, was worth reading. So, quote, I wrote de Stadt, which incidentally de Stadt means the Republic in Dutch. Um, I wrote de Stadt as a contribution to the debate about the relation of music to politics. Many composers view the act of composing as somehow above social conditioning. I contest that. How you arrange your musical material, the techniques you use, and the instruments you score for are largely determined by your own social circumstances and listening experience and the availability of financial support. I do agree, though, that abstract musical material, pitch, duration, and rhythm are beyond social conditioning. It's found in nature. However, the moment the musical musical material is ordered, it becomes culture and hence a social entity. I have used passages from Plato, Plato's Republic, uh, to illustrate these points. His text is politically controversial, if not downright negative. Everyone can see the absurdity of Plato's statement that the Mixolydian mode should be banned as it would have a damaging influence on the development of character. My second reason for writing Destat is a direct contradiction of the first. I deplore the fact that Plato was wrong. If it only were true that musical innovation could change the laws of the state, uh, I could write beautiful symphonic music, but then I'm not doing what I want to do, which is to develop a musical language which has other roots. In Destat, you will recognize scales and pitches from Indonesian, <laughs> yeah, Indonesian music, for example. Early bop and cool jazz have also influenced me very strongly, much more than Mozart, Bach, and Brahms. Um, and he says, Destat has nothing to do with Greek music, except perhaps for the use of oboes and harps and for the fact that the entire work is based on groups of four notes, which also uh, also explains the scoring for groups of four. And that brings me to his uh, instrumentation for the piece, which is largely in groups of four. We have four oboes, four trumpets, four horns, four trombones, uh, two harps and two pianos, which is, I think those are grouped to form four, four violas, and four singers. The only group that doesn't fit into that scheme are the two electric guitars and bass guitar. Um, but, but for uh, the most part, he uses these groups of four. And this piece is really highly uh, delineated. So you've got these big sections um and uh really you have these big sections of very minimalist ideas that focus on a set uh combination of instruments and it's usually you know these uh groups of four um and you you really don't have the music uh 
developing in any way. You just have this sort of idea that kind of goes like like an engine, like you just turn on an engine and it just runs. Um, and then you'll have this section and then it'll just switch to another section and another idea for another group of instruments. And that'll go for a while without development, just sort of going on, like I said, like an engine. Um, so the first excerpt that I'll play you from Dishtat is the very opening idea. And this is just a very simple statements for four oboes. So this idea continues on until the it gets to the next section, which is for the all the brass instruments. So the four horns and the four trombones. So it goes from winds to brass. And the next excerpt I'm going to play, you're going to hear the very end of that section of the brass instruments, which leads right into the next section, which is the entrance of the voices singing this text in Greek from Plato's The Republic, and the instrumental palette changes from uh, brass and winds to strings. So you have the voices enter, you have the two electric guitars and the bass guitar, you have the two harps, the two pianos, and the violas. Um, And there are also oboes in there, but it basically goes from this section of Uh, you know, double reeds to a section of brass to all these string instruments with voices. So you get these really stark and also very sudden changes. So it's a very, like I said before, very delineated sections, you know, not just musically in the, in the harmonic material and all that, but timbrely, you know, in how, in the sounds that he, that he's uh, using. And he tends to, in this piece, stick to kind of um monotambral sounds meaning that he'll he'll stick with a sound that's you know mostly or all winds or mostly or all brass or mostly strings you know um so everything is almost like these big bricks that are being laid um in a row um one after the other
this section gives way to the next section, which creates this uh, just kind of perpetual motion kind of um, texture underneath with the two guitars, the two harps, and the two pianos um, that just go, like I said, like this unstoppable engine. And um, it features the oboe doing this sort of long, drawn-out melody overhead, um, which gives way to all the oboes and all the horns uh, doing this sort of pulsating kind of melodic statement over uh, this engine of, of an orchestra in the accompaniment. Uh, and the next section I'm going to play is basically you have these uh, the end of the previous section leading into this new section um, where you have the oboes and trumpets and guitars all playing together over harps, pianos, and violas. Uh, this leads into an incredibly dynamic section where basically you have uh, the oboes, the trumpets, the guitars, the harps, the pianos, and the violas all playing this frenetic uh, line all in unison, basically. Um, and the L.A. Phil really perform it at breakneck speed. I mean, it sounds like they're on the edge of... <laughs> you know, it sounds like they're on a roller coaster on the edge of flying out <laughs> um, at any moment. It could just completely fall apart. So it's uh, it's really exciting. And um, I always thought that this section is just some of the most dynamic writing for especially for the brass instruments that I've ever heard. I mean, it's it's incredibly difficult music for brass. And uh, he really had. I have to say, Andreessen really had a lot of uh, cojones to write this for brass instruments. And I always wonder um, how many rehearsals it takes um, to get this right. Um, another thing I wanted to mention about this piece is that the instruments are arranged on stage antiphonally. This means that they're sort of arranged in kind of a stereo configuration where you have half the ensemble over here on the left and then half over here on the right and it's all split down the middle um so for instance you'd have like two trumpets on the far right two trumpets on the far left this is again hearkening back to um uh 16th 17th century italy um just like 
uh, Racconso dell'Inferno did with Monteverdi. This is harkening back to the Gabrielli's, which uh, they worked along with Monteverdi in Venice at St. Mark's Cathedral. And what the Gabrielli's did and what they made famous is uh, putting different choirs, so choirs of brass instruments, for instance, on either side, up in balconies on either side of the cathedral, and then writing this music that would go back and forth between these two choirs. So you would get this stereophonic effect inside the cathedral. And this is exactly what, it's hard to hear in the recording. You know, you'd really have to hear it live, but this is essentially what Andreessen is doing. You know, he's passing these lines in this just rapid fire, furious manner back and forth between the left and the right sides. And so live, you would hear this sound just going, just sort of switching back and forth. Um, you know, like a furious ping pong, ping pong <laughs> match or something, um, back and forth, back and forth, really, really quickly. Um, so here it is, this um, this really dynamic section from Destadt. This moves on to the second entrance of the voices, these four women's voices, again, singing more text from Plato's The Republic. And I want you to see, to just listen here how the four voices interact. They sort of act not as solo voices, but as a choir of voices that all sort of work together to create this one vocal sound. And also the style of singing is so different than that of Racconto dell'Inferno, which you had this sort of opera-slash-musical-theater um, solo singer style. And in Destadt, you have these four women singing a very straight tone, singing and, and really um, trying to get their voices as close to each other in timbre to echo the instruments. So, you know, you have all these instruments of the same timbre and... The point here is you want to have all the voices of the same timbre that to sort of blend and make one sound, you know, one group sound. Mm-hmm. 
the next excerpt is our last excerpt from this uh, this piece de Stadt of Louis Andreessen. And uh, I pulled this last excerpt because I wanted to really illustrate his antiphonal brass writing. And in this part, you can really hear it, especially if you put on headphones, you can hear the brass of uh, this music being passed back and forth from left to right to left to right to left to right. Um, and you can hear it pretty clearly in this excerpt. Um, and I, uh, this being the last excerpt, I just want to encourage all of you to really go and listen to these pieces in their entirety, not just a shot, but all of them, um, tabula rasa and, uh, recanto dell'inferno, because these are, uh, they're relatively long pieces and you really can't get a sense of me playing, you know, by, by me playing these excerpts, you really can't get a sense of how they evolve you know, over the period of the entire piece. Um, the Stadt is 35 minutes long. And uh, it's really cool just to sort of kick back and let the piece kind of go. And like I, I keep using this, uh, you know, this image of this engine that once you start it, it just goes and um, it just runs and goes like an engine. And um, it's a really cool thing to hear how this piece evolves and moves from beginning to end. Uh, and it especially, oh, that's also true with uh, Racconto dall'Inferno, but for different reasons, you know, to hear how that piece evolves dramatically over the course and depicting this scene from Dante's Inferno. Um, so here it is, the final excerpt from De Stadt of Louis Andreessen. everybody, welcome to this week's All the Cool Parts Idol. This week, we're going to present a really interesting CD by composer Charlie McCarran. Um, Charlie sent me this CD, and uh, it's a triple CD, so a CD with three discs called The Mystery of Grey Matters. And basically how this works is you have pieces on the first CD titled left is in the left uh, part of the brain and then you have pieces on the other disc disc number two called right as in the right part of the brain um, these are pieces that are meant to be separate standalone pieces of music and they really it's really eclectic it's really eclectic um, it uh, 
can range from the symphonic to the electronic to simple sort of folky uh, guitar and voice songs. I mean, it's really a wide range of uh, different styles uh, to convey um, this sort of concept that he's going for. So these uh, separate pieces are on these two discs. And what you're supposed to do is play the two discs together at exactly the same time. And it forms disc three, which is left plus right, where the songs on both discs combine to con- to form, you know, work together and form a new piece, basically, um, that the two halves become a whole. Um, so this is a really interesting disc, a really cool concept. And... Uh, you can learn more about Charlie and hear more of his music and and uh, learn more about his various and widely ranging projects on his CD, uh, not his CD. You can on his CD, but also on his website, uh, charliemccarron.com. And his last name is spelled M-C-C-A-R-R-O-N. Um, so please go visit his website and uh, you can hear and learn a lot about this um, very unique artist. Uh, what I'm going to do is basically play about a minute from the first track of the left CD, then about a minute of the first track of the right CD, so you can hear how these pieces sound separately. And then I'm going to play the the first piece off of the third CD where these two pieces are mixed and played together simultaneously to form a new piece. So... Um, the um, the first track is titled Prelude to a Life. The second track is titled Seven Days. And then the when they're put together, it's just simply titled uh, or just simply referred to as uh, the first act or the first movement. Um, and uh, here it is um, from The Mystery of Grey Matters by Charlie McCarran.
Hey, performers, performing ensembles, and composers, All the Cool Parts Podcast wants your music for All the Cool Parts Idol. If you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording and you'd like All the Cool Parts Podcast to share it with the world, please email sound files and other details to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. Help me share your music with the world. And that is going to do it for this week for All the Cool Parts. Um, if you would like to send us an email with any questions you might have about anything um, regarding the music that we've played or any comments, please send those emails to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. You can look at the show notes at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. You can visit me on the web at anthonyjosephlandman.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash anthonylandman. And... Thanks again to Charlie McCarran for sending in the music for this week's All the Cool Parts Idol. As always, we're looking for more submissions for All the Cool Parts Idol. So composers and performers, please send those submissions to our email address, allthecoolparts at gmail.com. I'm going to have you guys go out on another excerpt of De Stadt of Louis Andreessen. And uh, we will see you, well, probably in a couple of weeks. I'm actually getting married on June 19th. So uh, that's going to take a little bit of my time (laughs) uh, as expected. So uh, we should see you guys and be back in about another couple weeks um, with another episode. Um, So thanks a lot. And we will see you on the next episode of all the cool parts.